tectonic shift. Yosemite will blow and the western plates will shift and the oceans will rise, the mountains will fall and 90% of humanity will be gone. One fell swoop. This is just science. Whoever's left will go to higher ground and social order will fall away and we revert to scavengers and hunters and gatherers. But maybe there's someone, someone who one day Hums a melody they used to know. And it gives everyone a little bit of hope. Mankind's on the verge of being wiped out, but it keeps going a little bit longer because someone hears someone else hum a melody in a cave and the physics of it in their ear make them feel something other than fear or hunger or hate and mankind carries on and civilization gets back on track and now you're thinking you're gonna finish that book. But it won't last. Because by and by the planet is gonna die. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself. No. Be afraid. Be very afraid. There is nothing to fear except God. Whatever that means to you. Do I look like someone who cares what God thinks? a podcast exploring faith and fear, what scares us and what saves us. This is the fear of God. Hello, and welcome to the podcast exploring the intersection of faith and fear where every single week, except the ones where we don't, we discuss what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the fear of God. Speaking to you right now is one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse, and and typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. And guys, he was here a minute ago, but he cryptically said, I don't think they're coming. And then he just, I mean, he kind of disappeared. It was weird. I, I think he'll be back. I hope he'll be back. Um, while we await his hope to for arrival, though, allow me to welcome you to a brand new series that is formally beginning today, even though it technically, technically began last week with surprise, a B side on Marvel's The Avengers Infinity War, uh, which served as a bit of a prologue for us. We hope you guys enjoyed that one. Thank you to frequent guest Ian Olson for contributing to the fun. Um, that episode is meant as a front bookend for this overarching series. It's a series meant to resonate directly with our current local and global moment as we wrestle through um, our shared sorrow. Far be it for me to over-explain the series, because here at The Fear of God, we do not explain, we explore. Except when I explain that right now, unlike toilet paper, you can find us anywhere podcasts are sold. And if you'd be so kind, we would welcome a five-star rating or review on iTunes. Thank you, Cy. And as well as all that, your home for all things foggy, save that of Nelson, is the fear of God podcast.com, 
wherein you'll find episode archives as well as merchandise for the show, including things like cell phone cases and T-shirts and campaign buttons and pillows and maybe some face masks and some magnets and read, read what, (laughs) what the sheet are you wearing? You look like a beekeeper a little bit. The way your hat is extending the sheet out. And <laughs> so glad we're doing video now. <laughs> oh my goodness, oh my that gosh. was perfect. <laughs> Thank perfect. you. I'm glad. It was glad. a lackey story there for a minute. It, oh, what a, a lackey story coming to what a theater. A great, we've been doing this little bit about you being absent for. <laughs> quite some time now on the show and what an incredibly amazing new manifestation <laughs> of this it's like it now is a sight gag and oh yes i hope you're okay with that because it's, it's where we're at I, 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 it's gonna have to you know it forces me to up my game which is stressful but that's okay yeah 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 <laughs> riri so one hey look, we can see each other and on a certain level when we work all this out the listeners now are viewers as well that's crazy perhaps that's really crazy all of the dots all the i's are still getting dotted and t's are still getting (laughs) crossed but we see you and they see me and here we are um indeed reed i do want to uh we we can't drift too far uh from 2020 2020 i do want you to tag in real quick because there's a little bit of housekeeping Take care of that, and then I got another sort of question. Yes. So, so listeners, as you know, a couple of weeks ago, we concluded the first phase of hashtag 2020-2020, our countdown of your top favorite horror films from each year, starting in 2000, going all the way to 2020. Now, uh, we have taken a a pause. We covered Dr. Sleep with all of our friends uh, for the next Quarterly King. Then we dropped a surprise for you with Infinity War. And now we are launching into this new series, uh, which Nathan and I will talk about in just a moment. But while that is there, we must not lose sight of it. Go to fearofgodpodcast.com, click on the banner on the top, and you will see there the surveys for 2009 and 2010. So we need your votes. Go there and cast your votes for your favorite horror films for 2009 and 2010 because when season one of what we're doing right now is concluded, we're going to take a brief break and cover those couple of years. So we need your votes to select your favorite horror films of 2009 and 2010. Go to fearofgodpodcast.com, cast your votes. It's going to be great. So, uh, so yes. 2009, 2010. But you used a good word a moment ago, pause. Um, and that's kind of what we are collectively doing a bit globally. Um, uh, and, and reflected in our taking a break from 2020 for a moment. <clears throat> I do want you to expound on the series, but before you do there, before you do that, Reed, did you ever think in like three years of the fear of God, not only that we would end up covering infinity war, uh, marking our, you know, dive into the deep ocean of the MCU, but that we would do it in only the fear of God way, which is like, Hey, the MCU, it's the biggest sort of movie franchise in history. And so many billions of dollars being made, by the way, let's all cry and be sad. You know, it's like, it's like so the only fear the fear way. of God can say, you know what? Yes, MCU. Right. But right, right, right. the sad MCU. <laughs> the sad part. Like, the Deathbringer MCU. Exactly. Our very first one is arguably the tragedy. 
<laughs> that's the one yeah. we start with. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, uh, we. It's funny. I am being jokey because my tendency is to, it's, it's a coping mechanism. <laughs> I understand. Um, but I wear bed sheets. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of where we're kind at. It's nice like, tent, you know, like people thought, oh, they're making a reference to the movie. Like, nope, that's just what Reed has started doing. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I want you to articulate the specificity, but to sort of open the door for you here, like, I'm excited. I'm, I'm nervous. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious. I'm hopeful. Um, adjacent to the films and you articulated this at the end of Infinity War. We're, we're stepping into a TV guidepost that, yeah. that kind of spines, uh, the whole thing we're doing here. Why don't you, if it's all right, just take a minute and just, what are, what are we doing? What is the goal? If yeah. for some reason, Someone didn't listen to Infinity War. <laughs> right, right. That right. was a, that was a lot of that was a fun episode, even though it ends in a sad place. What it are we was, doing? It was. They should go. Yeah, but they should go listen to it. So we are spending uh, the next uh, several weeks uh, with little breaks in between to tag back in on twenty 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 twenty. We're going to be covering the HBO series The Leftovers, and um, the biggest intention behind doing that was with. The global moment that we're in and with so much consideration around weighty moments of of tragedy and trauma and and this profound pause as has has come into play in several aspects of the conversation, just that word, um, we wanted to take a moment and just look at grief and loss and really, uh, I think it is more than that, just the tragedy of occurrences where your world is upended and turned upside down and you don't really know exactly if or when things will be okay, uh, which is a large part about why we started with Infinity War because uh, it is very easy in light of uh, other things that took place in MCU and now one year later we had a different film to kind of close the loop on it. But when Infinity War came out, that was all you you had was just the ending and the ending was with half of them gone. And, uh, and not knowing exactly how things were going to be okay. And The Leftovers felt like a really appropriate sort of similar examination where the premise of the show The Leftovers is that 2% of the population have just vanished. Um, the global population. The global population, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, it, yeah. Is, it is a rapture-like event, uh, devastating in its implications, but only 2% of the population. So there are places that were... Uh, not entirely affected by it or not directly affected by it, but definitely uh, just a titanic occurrence. Um, and I feel like right now we are going through with the impact of COVID-19, the the reactions in various places from different people to that event. Um, the Leftovers felt like a particularly uh, prescient show to carry us through this. And in that spirit, so that I can wind this down, we're also doing this seasonally in phases so season one will have sort of a different set of films than season two and season three so we are launching into that cycle of four films and a conversation about season one of the leftovers that is what you're in for ladies and gentlemen for the next four or five weeks and my my uh two percent <laughs> uh note there is and and it's especially poignant to me having watched episodes now one through four of season one what the thing i love about that show and why it felt important and and worth our time is the show is not interested 
ultimately in what really happened right. and where are these people. Right. The show is interested in how now do you live? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in some ways, the f- question is, how can you? Yeah. Right. That, you know, that, Certainly. that presents itself. But, but more than that, as an overarching sort of meditation, it's in the face of tragedy, both global and intimate. How do you, how do you press forward? How do you move forward? Right. Um, and that felt really, uh, because of the nature of this show, particularly, um, being what it is, that felt real like a worthwhile exercise. Yeah. Uh, certainly. For us certainly. On the show. Um, right. Are, are you ready? I don't know if I am. <clears throat> Doing this on a video setting is a lot different than knowing that it's only in audio format, but nonetheless. We begin now our first TV guideposts of 2020, the eerily prescient uh, HBO series based on the Tom Prada novel, adapted uh, and and show ran by our mutual favorite Damon Lindelof, The Leftovers, starring Justin Thoreau and a bevy of other folks whose names are not in front of me currently. Today, on this episode, we will be discussing episodes one and two. Of season one of The Leftovers and now to Mapleton. That was, that was beautiful. Thank that was you. wonderful. That was wonderful. Thank you. Reed. It really puts me right there, right there with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reed, we're talking about The Leftovers. I know. Isn't like, that crazy? You, it, it feels like it's like the most right and the weirdest thing to yes. be done yes. doing right now. Well, and for you and I. Oh, absolutely. And I think that still the shorthand for us is yeah, we're, we're a podcast about you know, faith and life and horror films, but really that, that mantra has changed particularly the last year or so to just examining what scares us in order to find what saves us. And that, that is an exclusive to the horror genre. I said that, you know, a bit in the conversation about infinity war, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's broader. Well, and so, so dialing in on the leftovers, you know, I have a memory. You can correct this if it needs to be done because my memory is what it is. Um, but I feel like, am I wrong? Did I push you to watch, to watch the show? Not wrong is that at all. Correct? You, yeah. You, okay. You're, okay. you're responsible for it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's all I was gearing up for. I, I just figure, love it. Yeah. It's this, this um, is really your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to get to a thing if I remember to say it because it's not my notes for something that you're responsible for when we get to the movie. Um, um, in my life. Um, but, you know, perhaps I'll get to it in time. Perhaps I won't when we finally reach the culminating Fear of God episode on Leftover Season 1. But Leftover Season 1 caught me in a real particular moment in life that kind of felt both needing to grieve and have the catharsis this show provides, uh, but also just as you and I, you know, a listener of two episodes knows we're massive Lindelof fans. And mm-hmm. so I kind of followed him to this show, having no idea what I was in for. Um, and I have not read the book. I know you have. Right. Um, but yes, if, if you're curious, it is based on a book, but only season one of the show is based on the book. Uh, from there, um, they sort of pivot in wildly different directions with the same, roughly the same characters. Um, but any listener right now or viewer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, 
who may have expressed interest in the show before and may have even dabbled in season one, we will even readily acknowledge season one is very heavy. It is. Um, yeah. Almost to an extreme sense. Uh, I reference a number of times through the course of The Fear of God's Life, the show, um, the podcast, The Watch, uh, with Andy Greenwald and Chris Ryan as part of the Ringer Network. And they both come from the TV criticism uh, world. And Greenwald specifically bashed season one of the leftovers as too dour mm, and okay. and actually came around rather significantly in the subsequent seasons to the point of where he became an ardent cheerleader of it fascinating so so just know listener if you're like oh my god that, I, I watched one or two of those and that's awful it right. is yes. it is yeah and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and we can, as we move through the show, move through the series, discuss the arcs and pivots and maybe pull some, some Lindelof quotes later on. But, you know, season one, just to prep you, it is heavy. Um, Very much so. But with, with all of that sort of those building blocks out of the way, um, I know you and I have both only seen it through the one time. I feel like I rewatched episode one once, but that's it. Mm. Uh, the, of my refreshers. Um, you referenced a minute ago, 2% of the world's population has been, you know, kind of Thanos. Uh, you can almost envision, uh, the Infinity War happens and the series, the leftovers yeah. is what happens between it right. and Endgame. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you know? kinda. Yeah. 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 A little bit. It's people wrestling with this. Just all of a sudden uh, they're gone. The snap. Yeah. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. Right. Um, I don't totally know the inroads into this other than just start picking apart well, components. Yeah. Well, and, um, and for listeners who please. may not have caught up uh, with our formatting of TV guideposts, we're going to spend the next few episodes for maybe 10 to 15 minutes talking about a pair of episodes in more cursory fashion, maybe glancing, glancing off of some deeper waters, but for the most part, just talking about the mechanics of what happens in the episodes. And then this little mini series will culminate in a fuller, richer thematic discussion about season one of the leftovers. So just, we're about to dive into one and two episodes, one and two, just uh, what happens and what we liked about it and what it made us think. So that was a very meta moment. Cause it was also rewarding me off from getting too deep here. So That's I appreciate, appreciate no it. Problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got your primary characters. You've got Kevin Garvey, his daughter, Jill, uh, but actually some of these relationships aren't fully clear at the outset. We just have seen it. So we know that uh, his, I guess we can spoil some of these things, but Tommy, who is his son, but not his biological son, right. um, his estranged wife, Lori, who is part of this guilty remnant. Uh, one of the things that will be returned to over and over as we discuss the show is I remember specifically either listening to or reading uh, uh, an interview with Lindelof around the time the series was releasing of how with a global event like this, what that does to pivot the axis of religion on the whole, mm. um, you know, like new religions themselves would develop based around a phenomenon. Right. So right. Kind of inexplicable. And the guilty remnant we're introduced to is this, uh, ascetic, I think would be an appropriate word. Um, is cult a right word? I mean, I guess, you know, they, it yeah, applies. No, it kind applies. all the earmarks yeah. of, mm -hmm. of recontextualizing an entire lifestyle. Mm hmm. Um, but this guilty remnant is a thing that has developed this group of people that has developed. They smoke incessantly. They wear white completely, uh, and they, uh, don't speak. Right. Um, and his estranged wife, Lori has become enmeshed in this cult. Uh, I will throw out one more sort of note here and then let you take over wherever you want for episode one. 
Um, I adore Ann Dowd. She's <laughs> amazing. And just seeing her show up in this episode, I was like, oh my God, yeah. I love her so much. I mean, like, she does so. To me, she's kind of like a current era Kathy Bates in terms of just that. I think that's a great comparison. Style. Um, oh, absolutely. Anyway, I, I love, I love Ann Dowd. Yeah. I I, no, I think that's a great comparison. And I think that. The the difficulty I have is how frequently she plays terrible people. Sure. <laughs> I think that's yeah. because she's yeah, yeah, yeah. such a remarkable actor and such a powerful presence whenever she's in a scene. It is just she always plays people in Handmaid's Tale, in a film called Compliance, in Hereditary. Oh. Like she always plays someone that is just awful. To the, she's so good at it. She's great at it. It's it's kind of yeah. alarming. I'm sure she's probably a very sweet person because oh, sure. most of the time people who play those kind of parts are just uncommonly kind in real life. Right, right, um, right. But yeah, she's uh, yeah, she is a, a powerhouse performer. Um, the performers in general are are good in this. I do feel like um, the first season kind of takes a little bit to get underway um, to kind of find its footing. I will say the opening sequence that. Of of the that's harrowing. Yes, that's October fourteenth. So it is the exact terrible. word I wrote down. I said it's the most harrowing and dreadful things ever. One of. I mean, it's just all the chaos, the disappearances. It's uh, it, it, it's really well that kicks the door that, down. There's so much groundwork I want to lay here, but but uh, that scene particularly. But what it made me think of immediately was um, if you have a, a, a digital music service, Apple Music, Spotify, what have you, look up the scores, the Max Richter oh, scores yes. that accompany yes. this show. They're, they are transcendent. They really I mean, are. It is yeah, they really are. ethereal and beautiful. But but specifically, the first time I think they're deployed in this episode is the dis- disappearance of Sam. It's true. The, yes. The, the episode opens with the sudden disappearance or the sudden departure. And it's this woman on the phone in her car had just put her squalling sort of infant in the back seat it stops crying off camera and the camera pulls out and it's gone and it's yeah. uh, that's how you start the show oh, so yeah. yeah it's yeah it starts at, a, at at that spot um you do have nora and matt yeah uh, mm-hmm. siblings who you don't know out of the gate I, I wasn't even thinking about this you do know i know you know this but the connection between the leftovers and infinity war right other than just the events of the show oh that um, that nora is uh or that carrie coon is that her carrie coon, yeah, yeah and yeah, that yeah, she yeah. is gosh what is that character's name though i always forget that character that name. character is it's funny i totally wrote it down for our infinity war and so there's call obsidian there's corvus glaive there is what is that um proxima midnight proxima is the name midnight. of her character okay. that's some <laughs> wow that's great yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> Um, uh, wrong thing. Leftovers. Here we go. Um, I'll, I'll throw two notes on, um, episode one and then we can move on to two as I sure, might yeah. be ready to, yeah. um, Nora's speech at Heroes Day mm. is there are two moments I teared up in this rewatch. It was there that culminates. She tells these adjacent stories of, uh, terrible sickness that her whole family endured yeah. as well as a day at the beach that was lovely. And she is noteworthy in this town. This character is noteworthy in this town because her husband and both her children, her whole family departed. Yeah. Um, but she ends this speech by saying, I'm not greedy. I'm not asking for that perfect day at the beach. 
Just give me that horrible Saturday, all four of us sick and miserable, but alive and together. Yeah. 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 No kidding. No kidding. And such a moment like that, particularly with echoes of, you know, what's transpiring among us right now, the ways that you can wish for, you know, the most mundane things. And uh, again, we're not diving into deep waters in these portions, though it may come up in in a little bit with our primary film. Um, The only other big note that I took away from first episode uh, was the sequence at the end where the gentleman whose name I have forgotten. I don't think they ever give him one. Do they not? Okay. Um, uh, When the dogs kill the deer, which is a terrible moment in and of itself. But then the man, you know, culminating in the they're not our dogs line, which really is haunting just as a concept. Uh, They're not our dogs. Not anymore. Um, So, yeah, that uh, that was my biggest takeaway from from ironically from episode one, which is largely scene setting. uh, The opening sequence and the closing sequence are the the most memorable elements to it for me. Um, You ready to dive into episode two? You good? Sure. So, good Lord, the first time. In episode two, when you see the title sequence, I love oh, yeah. the title really? sequence with the music and with this. Well, what's so funny about you saying that is knowing where the series goes with its titles. Yes. I so love that so much that this this was yeah. like, oh, yeah. Oh, that's it's, right. They used to do this thing. Let the mystery be. Yes. Yeah. Let the mystery be is a better choice, particularly yes. with what the show's trying to say. But I do love this season one sure. opening title sequence. Um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick the door down on something right away because it's probably going to come up multiple times as we move through season one. I hate, and I know that's a strong word, but I feel for, I've watched four episodes, you've watched four episodes now, uh, and this is our second time through it, but re-watching them, I hate the Holy Wayne plot line. Like, it's, I, it's- I despise it. I didn't like it in the novel. I don't like it in the series. I think everybody acted. It did give us Buddy Garrity back for at least a moment. That is true. I did like seeing old Buddy Garrity. <laughs> Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Um, so I, uh, but no, like I think the performers are doing what they can with the material. I just hate the plot line. Like I'm not, I'm not against like any any individual or what they're trying to do. It's just. Ugh. It's just awful every time I well, come, it comes up. There are two. This episode presents two rich themes that that and Wayne is part of one of those threads. I agree with you. I mean, it's not a chore, but it's definitely the least interesting thread. And the show, if it doesn't at the outset, knows that and learns that uh, right. for its future. But um, the two main sort of philosophy puzzle pieces that you get handed here that become keystone ideologies of the show. I'll tell the one, well, what does not matter? So the guilty remnant, yeah, this mm-hmm. cult in a new way. And maybe I just didn't remember it the first time. I love, uh, Laurie and Meg at the tree initially. Sure. When, and another thing I failed to mention with the guilty remnant is because they don't speak, they write everything down. Yes. Meg Abbott, who is played by Liv Tyler um, of The Strangers um, and various other things, you know, mm. but mm-hmm. for our purposes, The Strangers um, is accusing is is being put through this rite of passage to be part of the guilty remnant. And yes. 
she references them as a cult and Laurie, Kevin's estranged wife writes, not a cult. And I'm paraphrasing some of this. Meg says, I'm not doing this. Hmm. Laurie says, why? She says, I don't want to. Laurie says, why? Meg says, it's all so stupid. Okay. And Laurie says, okay. Hmm. And that is the guilty remnant ideology. Yeah. On a certain level. Sure. It's all stupid. Yeah. You know, these attachments, the things we're holding on to this recurring theme of remember is, is it's really interesting. And I hope we, you and I get to this as I trust we probably will. The guilty remnant are sort of fascinating. It's one scene to the next. It's kind of hard for me to, their intention is elusive. Like their, their, Mm -hmm. their, their meaning, their ideology is a bit elusive, but at the same time, when it is clear to me, there are moments where I'm like, I kind of, totally get what they're doing like it's really interesting yeah and and f- f- i mean take taking a moment the amount because you're you're we're comparing cults here we have i just railed against the holy wayne stuff the guilty remnant which is you know cultish in its dynamic is uh, legions more interesting to me uh sure. i mean they, they and in the novel the same way that just this idea of we refuse to be normal and i don't i like you don't have like a defined i don't think the show ever like lays out a mission statement for the guilty remnant but the what their ultimate aim is does feel a bit more elusive but i i do find their approach compelling as awful as some of the things are that they eventually do um yeah well, can I throw at you? Sure. I do think they posit. I'm simply saying sometimes one moment to the next, it's hard for me to keep this in view. In the first episode, uh, uh, there are placards and, and sort of imagery throughout the Guilty Remnants oh, yep. cult house that says, we are living reminders. Mm-hmm. And then reference to the smoking. We don't smoke for enjoyment, but to proclaim our faith. And I think, uh, largely, I, th- I think, the guilty remnant is saying we remember in other words and this is where the guilty remnant become interesting talking points for the cultural moment we're in they are here to say you guys are trying to move on there's nothing to move on into yes it is yeah. also mm-hmm. stupid mm-hmm. it's stupid we remember mm-hmm. and so smoking killing ourselves is our religion yes right right, right. so there, so there is that yes there's that cult aspect the other cult aspect that i think or rather the other ideology ideological aspect and then i can be done um that i think is going to echo through for ourselves for the show um i'm with you little though i like wayne there's an interesting juxtaposition of scenes late in this episode wayne says to tom when he's offering his holy hug yeah right right he says you don't have to feel like this anymore and then minutes later meg to Lori says I don't want to feel this way. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. And it's just this interesting sort of wrestling with our attachments and, you know, the, the, the things we love and why we love them, the things we hate and why we hate them. I don't know. It's just yeah. a really interesting yeah. conversation. Those two no, I can, ideologies are having. I can appreciate that. I can. Uh, my last note, uh, as obvious as it is, I do love the bagel metaphor, uh, but, sk- but skipping right past that, um, I wanted to just mention because this is his first appearance uh, that I I find Scott Glenn's character he's he's, he's wonderful so as a character and this is my favorite performance I've ever seen Scott Glenn give he's I mean he's 
excellent. Not as stick in Daredevil? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I do like him in Daredevil. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, yeah, he's he's really remarkable in this. And I really, uh, he goes to some fascinating places as the show progresses. And so I, I just wanted to give him a shout out since this was his first appearance was in episode two. But that's uh, that's all the notes I have on it thus far. <clears throat> and with that... Ladies and gentlemen of Mapleton, we end our Heroes Day anniversary celebration of those who have departed. Join us next week for episodes three and four of season one of The Leftovers, where we meet in more full version the one and only Matt Jameson, perhaps our favorite character of the whole show, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. We'll see you next time on TV Guide. <laughs> oh, oh man it's so weird to do there's that there's a lot video. happening right now Reed. it's so weird happening. it's so weird it's like in life it's, in art it's, in us, oh it's true in it's true everybody oh speaking of speaking of which can we okay so can we i'd like i'd like to take a moment <laughs> as we as we get into Sit right there i'll tell you how I became the principal <laughs> town called bel-air um i so our subject film today is David Lowry's A Ghost Story. This was a film that I have said more than once, not terribly frequently, but I've said more than once that my favorite variety of horror story is ghost stories. And that's true, uh, excepting uh, that I do love a good horror comedy. That that gives it a run for its money. Um, but in terms of types of horror stories. I love ghost stories. And so when I saw a film from a director that I admire and respect and have enjoyed his work called A Ghost Story, I was like, oh, great. I'm going to check this <laughs> he out. He wrote it for me. <laughs> I, I can't wait. <laughs> and so I watched this in proximity. To, I didn't go see it in the theater, but I watched this in proximity to its release, like pretty much the first moment that it was available uh, to to stream. I watched it and I was stunned by what i saw and immediately following it i i don't think i texted you i don't think i told you anything about it but i went to a little list that we've got you 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 wrote it down just real small and i, and I tucked it in the wall and, and you I just, just tucked it like, into somewhere <laughs> <laughs> somewhere to find and scratch at okay <laughs> My my little, it's gone <laughs> gone off the rails now. <laughs> We're careening back on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, um, I added this film to the list that was like. We're someday we're going to talk about this film, but I'm not going to tell Nathan about this right now. I'm not going to urge him to go and check out this film or anything. We're going to talk about this film at some point. So then talking about this series of the leftovers and and we knew that this first wave, these first sort of cycle of films were all going to be about ghost stories, hauntings, uh, things about, you know, a remnant, a remnant, if you will. will. Yes. Something that lingers after there has been a profound loss, disappearance, if you will. And so I knew I was like, man, I am going to, I'm going to pitch that we open with a ghost story. And I think that's all I told you about it. Um, and so I'm going to let you, I'm going to pivot over to you in a minute because then, uh, one mm. evening, 
<laughs> when I found out that you were watching it, and then uh, I realized what you were thinking about it. Uh, it 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 just delighted my heart in in ways I didn't know it was possible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even from this far apart. No, um, <laughs> so, yeah, what's really hysterical about that is I asked you a question pertinent to next week's film. Because yes, I was yes. queuing up to watch that. And then you didn't answer me in a timely fashion or the Lord orchestrated such that you would not answer me in a timely fashion. And so I was like, ah, True. screw it. I'm going to go to Netflix and watch a ghost story. And next week we're covering the film The Changeling. And you'll get to hear our thoughts on that. I knew Reed liked The Changeling, but he had been uh, noticeably quiet on regarding a ghost story, mm-hmm. not in a way that registered for me as anything other than just subconscious. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, the changing in a ghost story. Okay. I never realized changing. Okay. I'm cool. I'm going to go watch a ghost story. This is the lead off. Okay. Well, yeah. And I knew about the film. I knew it existed. Right. Um, I'd seen the, the cover art. Uh, I have a friend locally who, when it was around, when it was out, uh, initially kind of raved about it, but I didn't know any of it. I didn't know. Yeah. Okay. You know, you can kind of suss out pretty easily. Oh, a ghost story. The image is a ghost figure. Mm, okay, right. that's what we're looking at. But how it does that, what it does, I had no clue. And, you know, I'm always a sucker for just like something a little canted, right? Something a little off. Sure. A few, deg- a few degrees. And so it opens up and the aspect ratio Right is right. more akin to like an old Pan and home scan. video right. reel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. It's a little cute and inventive. And to my knowledge, and I do think I went back and looked, and I still think I haven't. I don't know that I've seen any David Lowry stuff, so I didn't have Interesting. anything to pull from. Okay, sure. And <laughs> at like the 30-minute mark, I was like, this, uh, this is pretty cool. <laughs> And it was, it was the, we'll get to it, but it's, so the pie scene happens and you're like, no, it is before the pie scene. Is the, is the, is the morgue scene before the pie scene? I can't remember now. The morgue scene is definitely before the pie scene. Yes. Okay. Yes, okay. yes. Yes. Then it's the morgue scene. So the morgue scene happens and I was like, this shot just keeps going. Yeah. Oh yeah. I love it. Yes. This. Is anybody else saying <laughs> this shot is still going? <laughs> and it's just all of a sudden, it, you know, what, what was interesting. Sure. Became yes. like fascinating mm. and kind mm-hmm. of like, okay, mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of doing something cool here. Well, and of course, so, okay. I'm, I'm trying to jump into the film. Yeah. 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 You're, because you're I'm fine. excited, but, but I want to establish where you, I think you're wanting me to land. So I get totally swept up in it. I mean, I may as well have been up under that sheet with, with that guy. So I was like, I am here for this. Yes. Uh, sure, sure. Certain moments happen. Um, the morgue seeing another ghost. I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, so I, I won't steal all that thunder, but <laughs> I texted you about halfway through and I used an expletive, but I, I, did it syllabically, right? Yes. Oh, and it was oh, just like yes. one oh, syllable yes. at a time. I blank love this. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you're hilarious. You're like, hmm? Are you? <laughs> I it was, this, like, it was this real, like, coy, will he, won't he? It was like, are you sure? You know, <laughs> for yeah, real? Just playing, just playing with me. Oh, my God. Um, and I was like, no, no, I'm dead serious. 
and I've, I've got it pulled up what I wrote at the end and then we can jump into your response to my sure, sure, yeah. movie at the end of this movie, you guys, and I, I get excited about movies when I love them and mm. like them. Uh, I had such this weird confluence of emotions happen at the end that what I texted Reed was after it was over and I was sitting there just in delight. I said, I want to stand and clap and cry and dance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What in the world? Yes. Like Reed, since this movie, I've already recommended it to a few people. I've tried to pull a you (laughs) with my wife and be like, Uh, I I did. I I was great. You know, like I'm not going to tell her much. Like I really would love if you want to watch this, but I got to be careful because I'm going to be like in my, in my way. Like, like, Oh my God. Like it changed my heart. I am now a believer in ghosts, you know, like whatever. (laughs) And, but you can't do that because then she's going to come expecting like, absolutely. Yes. And I can't use the word Terrence Malick because she doesn't like Terrence Malick. And so mm-hmm. I want it because part of me is like, it's like, it's like Malick, but refined. It's like <laughs> a bit more. Yeah, I don't know. Like, so let's talk about a ghost story. Uh, I loved it. Oh my gosh. It's such a great movie. What's amazing is that like, yeah, I mean, it, it's incredibly highly praised. I, this is just such a special film. And I honestly, I'm, I'm going to struggle because any of, the things, any of our typical segments, any of what we normally would talk about, it is possible to spend like a mountain of time on any one of them. Um, but this, this is a truly unique, it's very personal. It's something that David Lowry had. It was written by a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a true story. It's a documentary. Um, this is something that David Lowry has even said is, was, a creative means to process things he was struggling with. One of the biggest things being he and his wife, uh, I believe it was his wife. I uh, can't remember yeah. if it was his wife or think so. if they were not married at the time, but they were having a discussion about whether or not they wanted to relocate. And he was wrestling with his attachment to place and sense of, of, of space. And, there was that also more existential crises and just all of these sort of pieces culminating together in one of the most patient, haunting, frightening, lovely, inspiring. I've been listening to the score like over and over. It's that score. It's amazing. Oh my it's so gosh, good. that score. Well, and to your point about the genesis of it. What I read too is that much of the dialogue between Rooney Mara and Casey Affleck are actually, it's like these, these are the things they said to each other yes. just script in script form. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I did, I, I didn't know what I was going to watch. So sure, when sure. 15 minutes in, Affleck's dead in the front yard, I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I have well, some, here's that. Can, let me get let me get a couple of trivial bits Please. out of the way because I want yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. like dive Do in. It. So, so there's a couple of cool things that I thought were was cool. Uh, one of my favorite aspects of this film is is the actual shape of the ghost, and I love that uh, it it is kind. It looks very simple, but that it is reported was one of the most challenging aspects because when regular sheets lay over adult people, like the appearance isn't. It's just kind of. Yes, it's not that that iconic sort of rounded shape. So in order to achieve that, like Casey Affleck had to wear like a hoop and several petticoats. And there was this very sort of uh, deliberate intention. They even had to do, although I'm not sure 
what this looked like, but they even had to do uh, a sort of puppeteering to keep the eyes in place where they were supposed huh. to be. Um, so there was a lot of challenges in just creating what appears to be like the simplest aspect of the film. Oh, just throw a sheet over Casey Affleck. Um, the other thing uh, that I love about this film is it was filmed in secret. So it was funded largely by the like what David Lowry made off of Pete's Dragon, which was, you know, a, a big Disney live action piece. And so naturally, he probably got a, a decent sized payday from that. Um, it was not announced as a project until after post-production was almost complete. Like, they, they didn't even announce it was coming or it was happening until they were almost done with it. Um, and then uh, two more things that I love. I love, so the big pie scene, obviously, it's, it's obvious from the film that it's done in one take because it's just one continuous, almost still shot. Um, and uh, it says that the, the specific pie was vegan chocolate. And Rooney, Maur- Rooney Mara said it was terrible, but David Lowry said it was delicious. Um, the last note that I have in terms of like trivia stuff, you mentioned that neighbor ghost thing. Uh, and I'm kind of flying through these because then I want to just get into moments in the film. Um, the neighbor ghost was played by David Lowry. The one that's I did I did see that yes yeah. um so that so that's cool wanted to get a couple of trivia things out of the way let's talk about the movie let's talk about food <laughs> so <laughs> okay so, much like the morgue scene when girl starts eating that pie mm-hmm. I was like. That may as well be me right now in quarantine. <laughs> like that, like yeah, three weeks sure. ago. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've yeah. kind of normalized, but like that, that I'm like, okay, I'm just going to open a thing and I'm going to stand here and eat all of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I just move on to the other thing and eat all of that. And for what? And my wife, huh? Oh, I was just going to say, and for what listeners don't know, like, like this is, if you have not seen it, she opens the pie. Sits and eats. She's just come pie. from her husband's, yeah, from, wake or funeral or whatever. Yes. Yeah, and there's and a pie there. She opens the pie and begins to eat the pie, and it is a four minute stationary shot of her just sitting there eating this pie, and it goes on for so long. There is one cut, They're like oh yes, it's straight on of her down. standing, and then it cuts to her sitting. Yeah. Yes, nonetheless, but still, yes, yeah. Anyway, sorry, I cut you off. She eats an entire pie, you know, all of it. Um, so yeah, it was this just weird like. Yeah, I feel you, girl. Like uh, that's that's me. I I could do that with ease. So I got up and ate everything in the cupboard. No. Um. So, question for you, Reed. Like, if you were out of stress and anxiety and fear to just devour an entire thing in its in, in its entirety, mm-hmm. like what would that what would that thing? Oh, be? an entire bag of chips and however much salsa was there. Yeah. That's all. That's it. That's gonna be. That's gonna hurt later, but. <laughs> hashtag worth it um <laughs> hashtag is it um hashtag, mine would probably be hell yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> mine would probably be a jar of peanut butter i would just oh twist that lid just go oh my know. gosh my son one time Tell cracked it. open a jar of peanut butter ate like half the jar before my wife could get to him, <laughs> he ate like half the tree. He made himself so sick. Oh man! Anyway, um, yeah. So I, once the morgue scene happens, and and you know, you learn there's going to be a physical ghost embodying physical space yes. in this sort of world. Versus like, okay, we're going to cut from the morgue scene, and now 
we're going to have just the, the visualization of right. it, which is not what they do. So then there's that. Then there's the foods, the, the pie scene. Like, okay, this is, this is something kind of cool. Um, I think it's around there that I might have texted you, and I think you were like, no, are you just playing with me? Oh, right. Um, it was about the one-hour mark is when I think we connected. I don't know why, but the scenes, not just not just that the film is smart enough to show us another ghost, not just that they engage each other, not just that they communicate such rich text with so little mm. verbiage. Something in that first revelation, like kind of like I almost envision an egg that is my heart and it just kind of cracks open mm. and just everything mm. in it just kind of spills out. And I was just like, I don't know how to process this emotionally. Right, right. Um, and that's where I th- yeah. that's the moment where sh- where you know our ghost is casey affleck he looks across sees neighbor ghost. i called him ghosty ghosty yeah, oh, yeah. ghosty and neighbor ghost yeah. ghosty and neighbor ghost so ghost <laughs> ghosty uh he's credited just as c that's all that's all he's credited as well, we're gonna call uh, him ghosty he needs a name. ghosty um so ghosty looks across sees neighbor ghost <laughs> and then neighbor ghost says i'm waiting for someone and he says who and by the way when we say says it's all yeah. text. Yes, subtitles, yeah, subtitles text on the words. screen. Um, no audible dialogue. He says who, and then the ghost like turns away and says, "I don't remember." I'm like, "Oh my gosh, yeah. this is yeah. oh man!" And for people who have not seen this film, the film is very meditative. Like one of my biggest loves is I just love this film's patience. Like it lingers on moments that other films would be anxious to cut away from. The first time you see it is actually not even the morgue scene, but is the scene when they're laying in bed together. They've kissed a little bit, but then it lingers much longer than other films would have lingered. And they're not doing anything. It's not a, you know, it's not meant to be, you know, that variety of scene. It's meant to just be an, a moment. It's intimate, but not sexual. Th- exactly. Right. That's right. a perfect description. Um, it's just them holding each other as they both, you know, conceivably have drifted off to sleep as they're, as they're doing that. Um, and it's, uh, it's remarkable just, and the film is staged very much like that with just brave patience, uh, that I come to really appreciate. But so that when it does turn the dial up later, oh, yeah. I mean, I was like, Oh my God. Oh yeah. my God. You're talking what? about, Oh my God. When he starts throwing, when Angry he starts manifesting, what? Angry ghost. Oh yes. When he starts <laughs> angry ghosty. Mad ghosty, when he yeah, starts, yeah, yeah. uh, manifesting and, and like, cracking open cabinets and throwing pie plates at everywhere. And, and, and it's just, Oh man. Yes. Um, um a scene that, um, yeah, to, to affirm and back you up and yes, yes. A menu, the, the, the sparse yet profound text, uh, scripting between the ghosts is, is just rending, uh, wrenching. Um, I love just the imagery of the time passing mm, at the house. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. There is one scene right after it manifests when it is just, there's a montage of just it in different rooms kind of observing. That's yes, really lovely. Yes. Um, what do you want to talk about? So, so okay. So, um, man, it's, it's, there's, you could, cause I did categorize, I, I'm, I held off on 
mad ghosty because I do have it under scares. I mean, we can talk about that understood. a bit more. No, if understood. You want to. Um, I mean, given the nature of this film, gosh, let's just let's just go wherever. I mean, I okay. have, I have uh, a couple of things, but just I would say in this particular conversation, just when something substantive strikes us, let's not let's not delay it. Um, well, it's so it's. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I no, thought no. you were being like, go for it. No, no, no um, do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By all means. I don't know that I want to live here long, dwell here long, but the giving giving it intention and conscious choice was a fascinating sort of cho- uh, choice on the part of the production. Mm, you know, like mm. most directly exhibited through Angry Ghost. Um I just did not see that coming because the film is so paced and yes. mm-hmm. meditative, as you said, and, and patient that. So if you want to go watch this movie, like, there's yes. no, oh, yeah. there's oh, no yeah. sort of sugarcoating that. But like, um, remind me, is it purely just the anger? It, there's not a thing, right? It's the new family. The Spanish family is in the home and it's just yes. more like a expression yes. of just mm-hmm. distress mm-hmm. more than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, that whole sequence, I'm looking at my scares. This one ghost is at fridge and light comes on behind. Yeah. Well, and also when the kid sees him like in the, sh- in the shadows <laughs> off in the distance. Yeah. It was well, like, yeah, no, it's, that's the closet. The closet opens, yes, yes. and we, the viewer, are shown an empty closet. It cuts to the little boy and cuts back, and he's seeing ghosty. Yes, yes. That's powerful. Oh, man. Yeah. And I think that's the thing that, like, uh, for a film called A Ghost Story, it is more appropriate to describe the film as haunting rather than scary. But that sequence with that family is scary. Like it, But there are – well, you say that, and I, I totally agree with the sentiment, but it also is a signal that – Lowry knows what he has. Yes. He knows the conventions he's working with. Because there are legitimate jump moments. Like true. Um yeah. I've got right here when the bulldozer comes through the window, that scared the crap out of me. Yes, where and 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 Lowry is so great because it's a moment where the ghost is trying to pull and you he's been scratching at for a yeah. long time to try to get that paper. Um the 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 root of the film, my gosh. We're going all over the place. The root of the film is... It's like a ghost. We're just it bouncing is. around just, through time. And yeah. like- Casey Affleck and Rooney Mara are in a relationship. Don't know if they're married. Don't know if they're boyfriend, girlfriend. We're going to assume they're married for the course of the conversation. The film never addresses it. Um, so they're uh, intimate together. They live together. He dies in a car accident and then uh, becomes a ghost. Literally, she comes, identifies his body, uh, and then he's on the slab and then rises up after a very long time, a very long shot, rises up and begins to navigate the film under the shroud of this sheet. And what happens is he goes back to his house. He witnesses her in the sort of aftermath of it. Eventually, she leaves. But before she leaves, she tucks this note into uh, a, a crevice of the of the wall in the in the place. And that moment you just described with the bulldozer, the ghost has been sort of scratching at that place in the wall to try to get purchase on that paper and he almost has it almost has it free when suddenly that bulldozer just comes plowing literally through the roof and it is alarming and frightening and then that whole demolishing of the house culminates Mm -hmm. in one of the film's most gut-wrenching moments to me when because we've already addressed Ghosty looks across the way at the house at the other one and sees Neighbor Ghost, and we know Neighbor Ghost is waiting for someone. When that house is demolished, and then Ghosty is standing there 
looking across the way at Neighbor Ghost. They're all, they're both, you picture these two individuals in shrouds and looking at each other. And then suddenly Neighbor Ghost looks over and just in one flash, you see the subtitles across the screen. It says, I don't think they're coming. And the moment I don't think they're coming comes up on the screen, the sheet deflates and and neighbor ghost has presumably like evaporated and just disapparated. and is just gone. Uh what? Disapparated. Disapparated. Yes. Yeah. Um and so then you know the film progresses as he goes as our main ghost he sort of travels through time going into the far distant future and then remarkably going all the way back to experiencing like presumably the building of, of the first version of that house. Um, it's just, man, there's what's well, funny. So you said that because it didn't register for me. And then I just presumed based on the, the O pioneers sequence, right? That yes. this is what happened. It didn't click with me that it was meant to be a futuristic setting. Like mm, mm. it, I do think, I think that, that he never ghosty never leaves the place. He's ah, at the physical right. geographical space, right? Mm-hmm. More or less. Um, that the skyscraper sequence ultimately is all a future. That's what I interpreted it as. That that's let, so my interpretation of the film is that yes, when he leaves the hospital and goes back, he is always in that place. So what right. he experiences of walking through the boardroom and everything like that is eventually what became of that place. Right. And that right. he's in that physical space. Um, you know, I, that's the way I interpreted it is that he is always tied and locked into that plot of land, if you will, and well, whatever else happens on it. And so, so, you know, you, you are observing, even ignoring the extremes of far flung future and, and distant past, you're observing Ghosty's experience as the house has changed hands ultimately mm. to its demolition. Um, did you know that Kesha is one of the one of the party goers? I had read that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't recognize Lowry which wanted. Well, I mean, I, truthfully, I'm not even sure I'd recognize her mm. if I saw her. But like, sh- she was invited to do a song to write a song for it. Mm. Maybe she did. I can't remember. But um, the the score I've been listening to is the music, not ancillary stuff. Uh, but she came and joined the cast yeah. for that scene, just um, for that one scene. Yeah, but. Lord, how do you even wrangle this? You know, then be like, piss off, ghost. <laughs> um, speaking of MCU, um, <laughs> um, it is worth mentioning in that intimate scene you referenced what jars them. Or no, this is the intimate scene is after this happens. Yes, right. There's there's a piano key clang that happens in the house, and they go to explore, and of course, there's nothing there. Yeah. But once the film starts the, the time travel, you know, sort of, uh, procession, I was like, it's him, it's ghosty. And I don't, uh, I, yeah. on a certain level, I don't know exactly. And I didn't do enough research to know what the film is trying to posit through, you know, kind of what is easily referenced as a time travel thing, because a key component at the end is it, can we, Open this door. Do it, please. Yes. Yes. So you almost get this, not almost, you do. You get this cycle where, you know, house gets demolished, future sequence happens, ghosty 
jumps or steps off a giant skyscraper. Uh, the next moment is in pioneer days where ostensibly this family is building what will become uh, or starting to build what will become this home over time. Um, there's this really beautifully crafted, but, but haunting image of the dead girl's body as yeah, it has yeah. progressed over time. Yeah. And then you've got ghosty back in the house. And mm-hmm. one of the most, interesting choices that I don't know what to do with in this moment made from a story standpoint is because we've seen angry ghosty. So we know what it's capable of. Mm -hmm. We know that that level of expression is part of its design, part of its, you know, kind of expression. So once the awareness of the piano bang is upon you, what you instead get is not some sort of attention seeking clang. Right. It is ghosty back in this setting and slumps into the piano stool. And honestly, there's no intention towards the keys. It just is part of the slump. Yes. And so that was just a really fascinating choice to me. Um, Almost in defeated resignation more than anything else. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Do we do we go to the end? Yes. Um, I do want to. I do want to say. Well, and, and this might pivot us into. So you, I don't know if this is what you were asking when you said you weren't quite sure of the kind of the intention with the time travel thing. Um, let me see. I believe I wrote this aspect down. Um, okay, I'm going to read the note as I wrote it, and then we can we can unpack it further if we need to. So the concept that we are being watched by our own ghosts was a deeply affecting metaphor for me. Um, as, as I saw it in this film, it haunted me. It filled me with this deep kind of ache uh, that remains oddly powerful and strangely comforting in a way, because in a sense, we all do watch ourselves in our pasts, in our memories, our regrets, our joys. We're powerless to change those things. We, we can't do anything but observe them. And so in the final moment of the film and what happens in the final moment of the film is he finally, after this entire journey through time and space, he does excise the note. He opens it up and the moment he reads it, he, as the neighbor ghost did before him, just the sheet collapses and he, he falls away into nothingness, into, into whatever is after that. Um, so he opens the note, reads it, and fades away. And then cut to black. Credits begin to roll. Like that, that is the ending of the film. And it lingered with me so long. This idea of a, a ghost who has no power but to observe. I mean, has the power as we see through the, um, the scene with the Spanish speaking family, like has the power to at least sort of exert some, some type of force, some type of expression. Uh, but really not to change or influence anything over that past sequence, because in Lost Cadence, whatever happened, happened. Um, but it really got me thinking about the ways in which I look back at my 30-year-old self, 20-year-old self, uh, teen, and it is, in a sense, like I am being, in that moment, I'm being watched by my own ghost or the ghost of myself. It's Again, I may not be encapsulating it right, but it was a really powerful metaphor well, for me. 
One one <clears throat> one film note you left out there um, that feels relevant is uh, when Ghosty Prime <laughs> uh, extracts this note, which is concurrent chronologically with the couple still in the home. Yes. One, we are not privy to what is on the note. No, it which never is shows us. an amazing choice. Yes. And agreed. just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And two, I guess I would assume this is subconscious to you, if not conscious at this point, it also illustrates why ghosty we've watched can't extract the note. Correct. It's already gone. Yes. Yes, exactly. Which is wild. Right. Right. It's like a time heist. Like you go back <laughs> to get the gems, you know, you got to place them right back where they were. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, the, the phrase I wrote down and I, I, I time has just not allowed me to, to ponder this too deeply. And maybe that's what this moment is for, for both of us is like you, you brushed up against it, but the, the, Casey Affleck, when he wanders out, so it reiterates the scene of him uh, pursuing the noise. Yeah. Right. 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 Um, there's a real funny anecdote worth throwing out here, but I won't too deeply about on my honeymoon at our stay, the place we're staying at, we heard a noise and oh. I grabbed a ceramic giraffe and wandered out into the dark <laughs> of the world of the place. And now I'm wondering, was my ghost present with me? Oh. Um, but he, he wanders out into the home finds the nut finds nothing there there's a there's a cut in there of her saying why do you want to stay here so much mm. and he says we have history yeah and dead gummit i'm totally meant to earlier uh I, i'm not gonna unpack here and w- if we can come back to it if we want but the music scene when she's listened to the music is maybe one of the most riveting oh, moments in that yes. film. it's amazing yes. it yes, is absolutely amazing and beautiful it reminded me a lot of uh girl walks home alone at night music scene mm, yeah um, sure so he so in asked being asked why he wants to stay late in the film he says we have history and so then you learn these iterations of his spiritual self are occupying the same space with him and the phrase I wrote down, which I build and building to here is that even ourselves know ourselves. Mm. And, you know, so much of my, as, as you definitively know, and our listeners mainly know, but so much of my th- feelings and thoughts and sort of spiritual understanding of the last 18 months plus have been informed by a lot of Richard Orr's teachings and, and this embedded in a lot of it is a rupturing from what so much of my early faith life felt like I received as there is God and there is you. And these are two entirely disparate, different alien things to each other. Yeah. On a certain level, perhaps there's still some truth to that. But what I f- am, am growing into a feeling of and in and, and a I, ideally an embodying of is that the materiality of us is on a certain level godness as well. Mm. 
And there's something so powerful. What I wrote down too is the meditation that the film is a meditation on presence. P R E S E N C E. Yes, right, 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 right. We are so we, the the traditionally understood American churched body, are so directed to otherness that we ignore rootedness in presence. Mm. That we have no presence. We have. I just stumbled into that. Like we have no presence. We have no materiality. Right. We have no right. We we we. I got into this dumb conversation on Facebook today, which I do actively try to avoid. Uh, but it was like, because I was I made some comment about political realities and and sort of trying to be knowledgeable and active in those realities. And this person yeah. was like, oh, well, you know, the church is that those things are meant for the church. Like these social problems are meant for the church. And I was like, nah, mm. that's, 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 that doesn't work yeah. anymore for me, for me, for me, Nathan doesn't work sure. anymore for me. And, and is exemplary at least of this absence of presence. We don't know our, ourselves don't know ourselves. Mm. And and if ourself doesn't know ourself, which is I understand wild language, does God know us? Can God know us if we were, are unwilling to be present and rooted? I don't know. I, I'm just throwing some ideas on the table here. Um, there is a because I do I'm, I, I do think there's an interesting conversation. Real quick, I do sure. think there's an interesting conversation the movie has about progressing. You know, she. I don't think she is cast as incorrect and and desiring a new right like there's this sure. kind of tension yes. in the film yeah, between yeah, the two yeah. of them he wants to stay put she wants to move on um geographically and and so i'm not ignoring that but i also think if this idea of ourselves knowing ourselves it's this deep calling to deep idea that we 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 have neglected the tactile mm. in favor of the ephemeral to me what were you gonna say i'm sorry no i i mean immediately Two scriptures came to mind, and obviously they're in different contexts in those places, but this feels like it keeps happening more and more is that we'll bring up a subject or we'll bring up a an observation and then scripture will echo through it. But um but the first scripture that came to mind is is of course in the parable and teaching that Jesus gave, there were certain people to which the Lord said, Depart from me, I never knew you. And that's the language that's known, and that's the, that's the language that's used. There's also um, the observation that in the end we will be known as we are known, which is very yeah. sort of you yeah. Know, again, it's it's language that is A folding in yes. on itself. Yeah. And um, and so I don't think you're scratching at anything wildly combative with the substance of what we should be considering about. And I just love wrestle with the phrasing of the absence of presence mm -hmm. wrestle with that you know like the old paul simon fan in me and the sound of silence and all that other stuff sort of you know wakens up but just what a what a powerful concept of just you're not here you're not mm -hmm. known yes you're not and it's not just about engagement it's there is um there is it's it, it's a specter it's a it, it's missing it's um i think that a lot of times because we don't frequently meditate on these kinds of things but i can remember 
We, you and I, or just general we? Uh, general we at the moment. But yeah. um, I can remember when I went to North Carolina last with my family, um, the last time that my whole family was there with my mom and dad. And I can remember, I believe I mentioned this on an episode when this was more proximal to its happening, but I can't remember which episode that was. But I talked about we visited a place where I used to attend these little camps when I was a kid. And as we were driving up the Mm. driveway, I very distinctly had, I mean, it wasn't this weird hallucinogenic thing, but emotionally speaking, it was as real as I am describing. I drove up that long driveway and I felt like my 10-year-old self came running around the corner to greet me. And it was the weirdest, weirdest As told thing. on our episode involving covering the movie Mother uh, back from oh, was January that of 2017. Yeah, oh, yeah, oh yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, the, man, see, you have a memory when you want to. Or 2018. <laughs> well, kidding. it's also because I've been combing through our material lately. <laughs> so, but um, that idea of the ties we have to space and the, mm-hmm. the ties we have to a particular place um, – a, a place where things happened and, and, and a place where um, something significant changed or shifted in us. And I, I can understand, even though uh, I wouldn't begin to be able to explain it, I can connect to this sense that Casey Affleck has about, about history. And I think it's important that the moment we receive that line of dialogue from the film, he's being watched after mm-hmm. his future self has gone through all of these other things. So he's talking about history and it could easily be conceived that he's talking about forward history and backward sure. history all yeah. looped into itself. One of the concepts that I have spoken to in varying degrees is this idea of God and of ourselves when we are with God after we leave this present space of just the absence of temporal rules. We are out of time, like outside of. Are you? T- I'm sorry. Re- restate that. You're saying like uh, when we die. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Or you're when saying we, when we okay, when okay. we are eventually with God, uh, that mm-hmm. we die. We are um, outside of the boundaries of time, and that God Himself as a being would be by nature unbound by the rules of time. So time itself would be as irrelevant as all things happening simultaneously, all things sure. happening uh, linearly, yep. all things backwards, forwards, up, down, everything. Um, and so that concept is really powerful to me in this sense of when we think about the journey of the soul and the um, currency of – not currency as in like uh, money or exchange, but just right, the right. currentness of, yeah. of the soul – and where the soul eventually goes and where the soul has been before and all of those kinds of concepts about what encapsulates us as people, I think it demands a lot of us to recognize that materiality is in many ways, it's weird because I want to simultaneously express that in many ways it is just the shell, but at the same time, it is incarnational, yes. as we've talked about so yes. many times on the show, that it is far There's, more than yeah. just the husk. And and so the anyway, shell yeah. is ma- the shell is materialism. Yes. The the 
incarnation is materiality. Mm. It's funny mm. you use that word. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I did just read a book. I would encourage anyone. It's, it's actually pretty uh, short, but it's Walter Brueggemann's materiality as resistance. Mm. He talks about five real specific things, uh, time, food, money, something and place but mm. place is one of them yes and, and i was trying to even find some notes but it's not worth digging in it's funny you 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 phrase it that way the materiality of things and roar talks about the true self and the false self similar mm. sort of ideas and <clears throat> i'm watching our time and we're actually a little ahead of the curve so we can talk a little longer here <laughs> is something that i've been thinking about lately and, and it's weird how all these things are are overlapping you, uh, the word that came to me when you were describing the, the Casey moment with his ghost was nexus, like this yes. nexus point, uh, like yeah. these, mm-hmm. all, all, all of the things are interacting at one moment recently because of quarantine and just sort of stress and a bit of uh, a lot of anxiety on the front end. I went listening to some late nineties CCM, uh, <laughs> and sort of out of solidarity for my 40 year old self. I, I specifically went to Jennifer Knapp in mm. Kansas and that's a great album. Um, but that coupled with several others, I listened on a similar, uh, on, on, on the same drive. I started pondering the notion of the question of the question became, why is this impacting me? Mm. And I started wrestling with, internally and it's all kind of coalescing in this moment and ourselves knowing ourselves and materiality as incarnation and the and and presence as godness um the difference between pure and only nostalgia stoking yeah and actual presentness meaning I won't deny that listening to some of those old albums was heartening to me. But as I interrogated that, there's a lot of, in some of the albums I was listening to, some theological stuff that I'd be like, ah, I wouldn't really buy in on that. So yeah. why am I listening to this? It's because it reminds me and makes me feel l- like time, like of, of, of when I thought, quote unquote, yeah, it was, it was easier. It was yeah. easier. It was 20 years ago. It was, you know, the world was all out in front of you. The, the responsibilities of adulthood and parenthood and all this sort of stuff were not the weights that they feel like so much sometimes. Yeah. But I kept interrogating that. Like, okay, well, well, then, then what? So, so if there's no more truth to this, to what I'm listening to right now, it's not about its truthfulness. It's about what it's making me feel. And, and what it's making me feel is fine, but that isn't God. That's mm-hmm. just, reminder right mm. i'm i'm living back then when it was easier when life was easier i didn't have to wrestle with the me i am the husband i am the father i am the world we're in i didn't have to wrestle with any of that yeah so all i was doing was stoking nostalgia mm. so then what so what is it? it why I won't travel this too hard, but it just came to me. Why do we want to make America great again? Because it makes us feel like we did when we were dominant and on top and fully emboldened by our privilege. Mm. That's it. That's all it is. Versus there are two right now major headlines about two. Are they cops? I don't even friggin' know. Father and son who murdered a black man. Mm. Like, 
I don't mean to travel this path too hard, but the point I'm simply trying to make is we have so neglected immediacy and presence that we are dead. We're dead. We are dying. We are husks. We are pure material, not materiality. So what is the difference and how do you do that? You do that. I don't want to be quarantined necessarily, but you know what I've gotten out of it? I've gotten like playing with my three-year-old. Yeah. And right. Being like, you know what? Right. I don't, I don't, I don't care about any of work and money and whatever. I, these things have a place and I'm not denying that, but of course, like, of course, what, what I've been able to do is like dial in and be like, yeah, I'll let you run at me for the hundredth time in a row and knock me over three year old because, because materiality and presence demands and, and the nexus, all of those things are intersecting and godness is here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It oh, is, yeah. it is my inmost self planted in me by the, the eminent benevolence knowing myself in that moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think too, one of the, one of the real challenges comes in when for me, what it's, what, what you're saying has sparked in me is um, there were two, there were two conversations that happened. And I say with no intention to be joking whatsoever, that the days really are bleeding together. When I try sure. to remember when a thing took place, I can't remember if it was a week ago, two years, two days ago, uh, yesterday, whatever. I don't remember the proximity of these things, but I remember there was one moment where uh, I was having a conversation with my wife and um, the the substance of the conversation was just revolving around how much we hold back because we don't want to fall apart. You know, like you, you, you're wrestling with a lot of things, but you don't want to release them and verbalize them because then it's like the dam breaks open and you would probably be okay letting like a stream out, but there's an ocean waiting behind mm-hmm. it that's going to sure. come. Uh, this is going to come pouring out and um in a similar way uh there was a moment uh you know in the same way my wife and i are going through our own little journeys my eight-year-old son is going through a journey of his own uh one that is profoundly a mystery to us and him um even though we ourselves as adults would express our own journeys as mysterious and uh and and difficult to maintain grasp how much more so a child trying to navigate all of the confusion and all of the frustration. And I can't even remember how this conversation took place, but it was, it, it was birthed from a moment of frustration where he was uh, presenting some challenges uh, and it was related to like completing some schoolwork and something. Um, And because I don't remember it and because it's not really worth it, it's not worth, you know, doing a play by play of how we got there. But at some point in the conversation, I'm being stern with him and uh, my wife is also sort of backing me up. Uh, We're, you know, it's just the same thing that every parent has to have a conversation with. But suddenly he, it it wasn't terribly dramatic, but he, uh, he, he fell apart a little bit and, um, and stated that, you know, so many things were just hard right now. And uh, it was difficult to hear, my son say that in just that plain way, like sure, he said, life is hard right now. And um, to hear an eight-year-old tell you that will uh, rattle your cage a little bit. I don't care how smart your eight-year-old is. Um, and mine is. Mine's, mine's pretty smart. But it's still uh, arresting to hear that phrase be expressed so succinctly. 
and um, through tears and and it just it, it pivots the whole thing onto its head and you start thinking about exactly what you're talking about, about perspective and um, how you can wrestle with a moment in which you find both and I'm bring it back to ghost story in a minute, but my job is really stressful right now and to have to sit in a moment where I am immensely grateful to have it and also at my wits end with it is weird. It's really, really weird to be torn between those two places and those two mindsets and to be simultaneously grateful and afraid or simultaneously grateful and confused, simultaneously hopeful and uh, concerned and just all of the different ways in which all of these potential futures kind of come pouring in and try to squeeze excuse me, try to squeeze into one specific place, one specific time, one specific way. And what you're describing is taking a, a beat, just taking a step back and saying, I'm going to be present with my three-year-old. I'm going to, in this moment, all the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. And I, And this is the important part to me. I don't have to remember and I don't have to understand everything in this moment I'm here I'm I'm really and truly with them like in right. that in that moment the and this is my final word on that statement when my son expressed what he did my goal of getting him to finish that thing of his schoolwork or my goal and even communicating a message to him everything was immediately second place and lower everything and suddenly gonna, it's just in the moment. I'm going to affirm and, and add to this. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, uh, th- this is all tied together because Infinity War is, I'm going to reference that too here. So um, your son in that moment was God coming to you mm. disguised as your life. Yeah. And it was him in himself knowing himself. And we talked last Friday on Infinity War about the five essential messages of initiation, which is what we are at least trying and verbalizing that we might be going through the very first one is life is hard. Mm. Mm. And the only, the only path to presence and rootedness and the capacity to live materially is, is acknowledging these, those five things we reference on for anymore. Life is hard. The reason, the reason I can play with my three-year-old in that way, in that moment is life is hard. I am not that important. Mm. My life is not about me. I'm not in control and I'm going to die. Yeah. And, and that knowledge liberates to say, I, I can be here right now because I'm not in control. Yeah. I'll die one day, maybe tomorrow, maybe 50 years from now. My life's not about me right now. It's about you. Yeah. I'm not that important. Life is hard. So, yeah. so, so we, we, but the problem and what nostalgia does for us as Watchmen taught us, and I'm sort of learning writ large and, and what we as a, a culture are trying to do is nostalgia over all of those truths. Right. 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 We're yes. trying to take a feeling that once happened for certain people and say, we can do that and ignore all these things. And I'm actually, I'm not trying to explode this back up, but I am trying to just say like my peer online, who's like the church should be about the social issues. No, you're ignoring your responsibility. Mm. Um, 
your son in the moment saying, dad, life is hard. This is, this is hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's his moment of sobriety, yeah, you know, right, like, right. like we don't want our kids to have to learn those truths too early. Right. But you're, I know your son and he's a wonderful bright kid. And like, that's bright people learn tough stuff quicker than dumb ones. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, the, the, the ability to like Affleck's character at late to say, we have history like this, this space, this mm. place, this moment, there's something material about it. And that's not, uh, that might be as much God as what we've been conditioned to think God is for the, the other aspects of our life that mm. no longer feel, um, uh, like good anchors, you know? Right. Um, right. Ooh, um, we haven't even, and we don't have to for long, but I, I just, I don't want to end the episode without mentioning him, that party going philosopher and the extent, I can't repeat it. I didn't write it down. It's way too long. The man I wrote had, down a lot of it. And then I was like, oh, well, this is just going to immateriality. <laughs> and I was like, yes. That's all right. Um, but I do think there was a, what it spoke to. What it spoke to that that particular moment, and 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 I'm going to attempt in a clumsy way to tie this to what we're saying, and then maybe maybe we're done. Is what he's talking about resonated so much to me? I'm not going to repeat the passages, but um, it resonated so much, like it sounded like the Book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm not trying to pigeonhole mm-hmm. some scriptural, some more scriptural language in here, but. It sounded very much like just, oh, yeah, this is vanity and this is vanity and then this will happen. And then maybe something good will come from that. And then maybe after that, then the universe will expand and it'll contract and all of these weird things will happen. And and uh, and so so much of and it, it I don't want to be dismissive to that speech because that whole speech is is actually pretty affecting. Um, but so much of it resonated to me about a book like Ecclesiastes sitting in a moment like this and the the. I will. I, I did write down one thing, and I'm hope I'm hopefully going to reference this and uh, and then tie it back to the film, and then and then shut up. Um, but there was this there was this thing. It's in the book of Ecclesiastes, and it says towards the end um, in verse eleven. Uh, I should have written down the chapter uh, chapter nine. Sorry. It says, "I have seen something else under the sun." The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And it's remarkable to hear a passage of scripture that partially sounds like it could just be basically like, oh, roll the dice. Like, who knows? Could be this, could be that, it could be whatever. But in the context of the conversation we're having right now and, and, what you just talked about in terms of the um, life is hard. You are not important. I can't remember all of the five edicts, but, um, but the thing that, that resonates so powerfully to me is I have such a tendency in my own heart and mind to not only presume I can control things, but to heap upon myself insurmountable guilt when something happens insurmountable guilt when something goes wrong or does not go about the way and and some of it's my upbringing 
Some of it's just the culture in which I came up, but this mountain of, well, this is all coming down on my head because X, Y, Z decisions made however long ago. And one thing that I will say I love, love, love about this film is with the exception of the cabinet scene with the Spanish speaking family, the film shows us no collision at all. There's the demolishing of the house and the shattering of the plates. It does not show us his accident. It does not show us Mm -hmm. her being told that he's dead. It does not show us so many things it could have. What it shows us instead is only aftermath. That's all it shows us. It It only shows us aftermath after the thing has happened because this film is not about the thing that happened. It's about what happens next. And to me, it was so resonant to me to recognize in this moment, like, yeah, there are ways in which we can navigate our time and our space and ways in which we can observe and ways in which we could even possibly influence or affect the flickering of a light or the clang of a piano or something. We can, we are not completely devoid of influence of whatever moment or of space and time we're in. But all of that is secondary to recognizing, and as we're talking about here, recognizing yourself in the moment and coming to some version of epiphany, if you want to use that word, um, that will finally allow you to be free from the the gridlock that you're in. A- an epiphany that recognizes, like, no, the re- for for some of us, it may be, I don't think they're coming. For mm-hmm. others, it may be finally seeing the thing you've been digging and, and trying to get at. For some of us, it may be looking into the eyes of your three-year-old as this now is the most important thing that could happen in this given day. For others of us, it might be sitting with your wife or sitting with your son and simply knowing it's okay if we're not okay. And the, those moments of, again, no longer being absent under the weight of trying to pretend we're something we're not. And simply being what we are in full, complete truthfulness and full, complete openness and allowing that to be what it is, whatever it looks like, however uh, mysterious or complicated or hurtful or confusing that is. Um, Anyway, Um, I'm going to I'm going to nuance in a way that I think you would have agreed with with your past self uh, here. You made a comment that the film is less. Um, that, that it's aftermath, that it's what happens next. And, and for me, at least a takeaway and, and at least as motivated by how much this has energized me, I don't think for me personally, I, I'm tired of, of the, what will happen next conversation. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. something this movie actually does for me is it's not about what will happen next as much as it's what will happen now or what, is happening and what are you going to do about it? Like, mm-hmm. you know, it is, it's, it's that immediacy. It's that materiality. It's that tangibility. It's that now it's that presence. And perhaps, uh, to encourage you, um, this is going to be clunky cause it's coming to me in real time, but my entire conversation has been, so feel free. It's all right. It's all right. <laughs> the good news about the hard truths of initiation that I referenced a moment ago, those five life is hard, you know, it's not about you. You're not in control. You will die. And the, the other one that's not in front of me now, um, the, the gloriousness about that. And the reason we only did infinity war first is there is, there are partner goods to those statements that 
will be gotten to in time. But, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bitter pill sometimes to be like, you guys, you're just, you're just these folks. You know, you do this podcast. It's real kind of, it's just a thing. Like you're not important. Mm -hmm. And I, and I want to kind of affirm that, but also say to you, my friend, a writer writes a novel, a symphonist writes a symphony, podcasters make podcasts. Right. And, uh, God doesn't exist in the microphones and the cords and the screwed up digital programs. Um, those are just physics, right? Right. Uh, but someone someday may hum a tune to what you're watching, reading <laughs> and listening to a tune they used to know. And it's going to give everyone a little bit of hope. Hmm. And, and I think to me, come on, that's pretty cool. That was, good. Uh, yeah. yes, that that's it. You know, it's, yeah. it's you, you, you live present and you do the things not because you're important and sometimes maybe not even because they're important, but because, because being present requires it. And, yeah. and, you know, uh, knowing ourselves as ourselves demands it. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, the problem is when we, all we do is live in the future or live in the past. Right. Um, you know, and that will make you Ooh. want to clap and dance and cheer and sing. It does. And cry it does. and sing. Um, last last comment. I just it's you just, just have on, to. You have no, to. No, no. It's just to. it's just on my head. I'm not even. <laughs> last not even word, gonna, Blackie. That's no, what we called him back at Gardner Webb. I'm not even. <laughs> everybody always got to have the last word. Um, no, it's just I, I just didn't want to leave the conversation without the other scripture that it's bringing to mind when. Jesus said, and who knows what he meant, and maybe he meant all of this and so much more. Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Um, and and that, again, presence. Presence uh, now and uh, am with you, not will be, uh, was, you know, all of that. Uh, all of that and more. So it's just, it's what came to mind when you were just sitting there talking, and I just didn't want to leave the conversation without it. But now I think if we don't, we're just going to keep ramping ourselves back up and <laughs> To see into even even more, um, you want to go to the fog meter? No, but <laughs> I can. Um, fog meter. We are in uh, the the first step into what a what a what a conversation to have. I'm thankful to be having it with you and with our friends and foggers. Yeah. Um, so the fog meter, uh, fear and God, uh, how scary, how substantive. Why don't you start with fear read of David Lowy's a ghost story. This is a tough one for me because it does have some jump scares overall. It's very haunting, but it's going to hit you with a ton of different emotions. Um, I think for pure, uh, for its pure effect on me, I'm going to give it an eight. Yes. I, I think, in large part because of how well it plays with the humanness of its character. Mm. Um, and, and it did its work well by luring me into a false sense of security so that when angry ghosty starts acting out, I was like, Oh my God. Um, <laughs> eight might be a little high, not because I don't feel it, but because just in the best version I can think of to define the fear factor. Uh, screw it. I'll, get, I'll give it an eight too, <laughs> but I'm going to go first on the God. Um, I mean, it's a 10, just, it is an unreserved 10. The, 
the we we will occasionally work uh with the text and extrapolate um the text and the subtext are are hold in them multitudes and uh, it's it's hard to even say this is definitively what this is about or right. this is what it's not about and so i think there's massive there's substance to spare no, oh, absolutely. Uh, for me, it's a twenty-seven. Um, <laughs> wait a minute! No, wait, 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 wait. Okay, twenty-eight. No, then this is a last no, word, lackey. Add it again. <laughs> this is absolutely a ten. Uh, I, I don't know if you if you don't know why this is a ten, you haven't been listening to this conversation. Um, it's a ten. Uh, and you want to do the honors? Uh, I wasn't doing the math, but sure. Like, oh, what? sorry. Y- you can cut this out. I. <laughs> I just sent you a couple of texts with the. Mouth, oh, I'm if not you looking. I'm I'm focused on you. I am present oh. with you. Understood. Understood. No, thousands of miles away. You do it. You do. Okay. It. I'm right. not. That's keep that's it fine. in. No, that's fine. Um. Okay. So that means that we give this David Lowry's a ghost story a nine out of ten. Wow. Um, that's awesome. That's that's, that's awesome. pretty heavy. Um. And listeners, if you've been listening to this conversation, you know the answer to this, but it, I got to ask it anyway. Nathan, would you recommend a ghost story to people? I, I have recommended it since watching it the other night to multiple people. I yes. thought about rewatching it in its entirety before this conversation. I just couldn't make it work. Yes. Because uh, the- I had to play with my three-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Life is hard. <laughs> <laughs> We just completely undercut the last hour of conversation. You guys are jerks. (laughs) So um, the only thing I will say is that the film is patient and requires patience of you. With that in mind, high recommendation. High, huge recommendation. Uh, Enormous recommendation. Wasn't it Guns N' Roses who taught us that all we need is just a little patience? Maybe. I don't know. I think that's right. Didn't listen to a lot of Guns N' Roses in my day, but sure, we'll go with that. (sighs) either uh, <laughs> so uh ladies and gentlemen that puts our uh first official installment of this little series that we're doing on the leftovers season one um and films about ghosts uh in that context that puts that in the books um next week we are going to be covering episodes three and four of the leftovers we are also going to be inviting uh, a return special guest one mr bill oberst jr is going to be joining us again for a discussion about peter medic's film from 1980 called the changeling starring george c scott um and uh we will uh, look forward to seeing you then catch up with that film in the meantime nathan i want to thank you very much for helping me to try to wrangle that I, d- I don't even feel like we scratched the surface i mean i feel like i'm gonna need I to mean, go we, we kind of scratched the wall and yes you know, yes and yeah. the notes started to go yeah. to come out and our then, past self or sure. is it our future self had who, already who kind of done all the yes. work Yes, all of that. So, uh, so yeah, who knows, who knows what will shake up from the conversation. But listeners, thank you for having it with us. Nathan, thank you as always. And yes. uh, as we say on every episode, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And in that spirit, we encourage you to fear nothing else and be on your way rejoicing. Thank you again, everybody. We'll see you next week. Stay safe. See you guys. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can start by visiting thefearofgodpodcast.com for all the latest news and episodes or for merchandise and to contact us directly. You can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God, on Instagram at Fear of God Podcast, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. 
Special thanks to Jacob Hunt of jacobhuntcomics.com for our artwork, to Lee Wright, who helped me, Reed Lackey, write our theme music, and to Tyler Smith at morethanonelesson.com for making our show possible. Lastly, be sure to subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. And if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating and a review. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.